0: welcome to the bill kelly podcast i'm bill kelly well could we see a political divorce in the new year that will result in an early election ndp leader jagmeet singh will join us and we'll talk about that house of commons has passed the liberal bill that mandates tech giants compensate journalism outlets for reporting their content is this good news or bad news for consumers and we cover the week in provincial and federal politics with john best from the bay observer it's all coming up on the bill kelly podcast and it starts now today on the bill kelly show on 900 chml we've been talking all week about uh, the uh, the end of the session up in uh, parliament hill and uh, all three leaders of course had uh, uh, media conferences uh, to basically outline what they thought of what happened so in this year and and looking forward to 2023 and uh, there's some interesting comments made by mr Polyev, mr trudeau the prime minister and of course uh, jagmeet singh the leader of the ndp uh, about what's going to happen go forward here and uh, uh, the NDP leader actually had a couple of interesting uh, suggestions uh, th- how the government might handle, for instance, the health care crisis that's going on right now uh, and suggesting that maybe a meeting with the premiers and the prime minister would not be such a bad idea after all. And uh, I guess the prime minister has already said that he's willing to increase funding for provincial health care, but only in exchange for improvements to the system. Trudeau says the health care issue is much bigger than than any partnership that the liberals and the NDP might have. Here's the PM.
1: If healthcare continues to be such a crisis point for so many Canadians, um, an arrangement with the NDP is the least of our worries. So
0: that's an interesting comment because uh, Mr. Singh also mentioned uh, that uh, he may be willing to withdraw his support for this uh, confidence and supply agreement that the, uh, the Liberals and the NDP forged uh, if there isn't enough action done on the health care crisis. Uh, is that an idle threat? Uh, is it something that's going to spur the, the government to move and do something? We're going to talk to the NDP leader about it. He's going to join us in just a second or two here. And uh, uh, because this is a very pivotal year, clearly, about what's going to be happening, Uh, minority governments don't usually last an awfully long time, which is why uh, this uh, confidence and supply agreement between the Liberals and the NDP seemed to be so important to try to move the agenda forward and and some issues here without having to go to the uh, next uh, uh, federal election. The, The concern, of course... Is, uh, is what's going to happen in 2023. Will this deal stay through? Uh, the deal, as it was explained to us, uh, was this uh, this partnership, this uh, confidence and supply agreement was going to be in place for at least a couple more years, till 2025. Uh, but let's uh, get some clarity on that. And to that end, we are pleased to welcome uh, the leader of the federal NDP, uh, Jagmeet Singh. Mr. Singh, a pleasure to have you back on the program. Thanks so much for the time today. Thank you so much. Happy to be back. Let's uh, talk a little bit about uh, some of your comments and and some of the comments from the Prime Minister uh, over the last couple of days. Uh, I think everybody's in agreement right now. We have a crisis in healthcare here. Uh, The the number of kids that are going into ERs and and emergency wards and the beds that are not available these days. Uh, I I guess the question is everybody asking is there's a lot of talk here between the premiers and the Prime Minister. Uh, Not a whole lot of action. What do you see and what do you think this government has to do to try to address this crisis?
2: Well, first and foremost, treat it like a serious crisis. What I've seen so far has been playing games, saying that we're not going to do this unless you do that, and and really nothing getting done. And Canadians are fed up with it. They want to see some action, and we need to see some immediate steps. Some of the immediate steps are things that the Prime Minister himself has promised to do. He promised money to hire more nurses and doctors. So, deliver that promise. He made that during the election. He promised to ensure that personal support workers or long-term care workers get paid an appropriate salary of at least $25 an hour. That would free up a lot of the beds that are in where seniors are stuck in hospitals because they can't get to a long-term care home because there's no one working in those long-term care homes. So that would certainly free up beds if we had proper pay for these workers. That's a great promise. Um, Let's fulfill that. There's things that the Prime Minister himself has promised to do that he's not doing, and uh, it is not good enough to use the impasse with the premiers as an excuse not to act. I believe leadership is finding solutions, not finding excuses, and that's what the prime minister needs to do, start finding some solutions.
0: Well, it's frustrating, and, and I agree. I mean, we've obviously talked about this an awful lot on the program over the last couple of weeks and months, I suppose now, and and the consensus I'm getting, of course, is the same as I'm, I'm sure you're hearing, It's just fix the damn thing, would you please? Stop pointing fingers and stop with <laughs> the it. bombast. Uh, and, you know, I don't care if you're a liberal, a conservative, an NDP, just fix the damn problem.
2: Yeah, I mean, there, there's clearly problems going on when we look at the provincial level, there's no doubt. And, and I see there's uh, recalcitrance or there's premiers that are, are cutting health care at a time when we need to be investing. That's obviously a problem. But that's not good enough for me, for the, the federal government to just throw their arms up and say, well, we can't do anything. I don't buy it. I know there's things we can do. There's ways we can get to the table. And at a minimum, just sit down and meet with the premiers at least to try to talk about some solutions. The prime minister hasn't done that. So I, I really blame the, the provinces, Absolutely. But I also blame the, the Prime Minister for, for not stepping up. And, and there's you know, there are some good premiers that are willing to engage, that are showing some good, good faith, and there are some that are not. But either way, the federal government, Justin Trudeau, has to show some leadership in this difficult time and do something to help deal with the crisis, particularly, as you mentioned and I mentioned, how it's impacting children right now. In 2020, it was seniors with the pandemic who bore the brunt of it. Right now, this current health care crisis has been going on for some time. But right now, it's particularly impacting kids who are suffering. And that, to me, has to be a call to action that we do something.
0: But but how do you build accountability into that? And and, and I'm not justifying the prime minister's position because I, 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 I concur with what you're saying. I You know, the frustration with the stalemate here is not an excuse to do nothing. But uh, you know uh, that, that some provincial governments are receiving money. Uh, they're all receiving money, but they're not spending it on health care. Uh, it's going in other directions. Uh, it's pretty obvious looking at the books here in Ontario, uh, the Ford government's not spending the money that was given them for health care on health care. You saw that when you were at provincial parliament here in, in Ontario. Uh, yes. The government of that day was was basically holding back money that should have been spent on health care. Uh, there's got to be some accountability. I mean, that is our money. That's taxpayers' money. And, you know, how can we trust provincial governments to do what they say they're going to do?
2: I think that's very reasonable. And I think Canadians also think it's reasonable that if we spend money, we need to know where it's going. So that is a reasonable position. And and I do agree with that point. And, and that's, I think, a fair thing to say. And I think we should be able to, I, I'm I'm willing to call out when something is wrong but also when something is appropriate. And I think it is reasonable to say, if we're going to spend this money, we want to know it's actually going towards health care. It actually follows the principles of the Canadian Health Act, principles that all Canadians think make sense, that it should be a universal health care, it should be publicly administered, it should actually go towards what we want it to go towards, which is the care of patients. So that's all very reasonable. Where I draw the line, though, and say it's not reasonable, is that just because we can't figure out that right now, that shouldn't be a barrier to finding other solutions in the immediate interim where we know that there's a serious crisis and we're just getting to the beginning of it. That's another thing that I think is really important to highlight. The respiratory illness season has just really begun because winter has really just begun. And we know it's only going to get worse. And if children are having a hard time now with a really massive uptick of respiratory illnesses, then it's only going to get worse. And so that's why we have to start doing something now.
0: Let me ask you, you, you'd also suggested in your comments uh, that you wanted the Prime Minister to sit down and have a meeting with the premiers about this very issue. Uh, That would probably make for pretty good political theatre considering some of the barbs that have been fired back and forth here. But would it really be a productive meeting given the mindset of of the people that are going to be around that table?
2: I understand it won't be easy and I think it's fair to acknowledge that. But but what else can happen? There's got to be some steps taken. And the only way we can get to any sort of conclusion whether it's, hey, here's, some, here's an immediate relief. We can't figure out the details on the longer-term solutions, but for immediate relief, would you accept this support or this partnership to help us deal with the healthcare worker shortage? Because that's something that everyone acknowledges is one of the big problems. There's a big shortage of healthcare workers, so nurses, doctors, frontline healthcare workers. So if there's a way to come up with some solutions, can we immediately figure out some ways to qualify the Canadians that are already in Canada that have international training that could get an accelerated path to getting into the workplace? Is there a way to work with provinces to achieve that, which is separate from uh, a transfer agreement that requires some, some details that aren't worked out? Are there ways to immediately inject some money into solving some of the other shortages in the healthcare system right now for operations that are being delayed because of the short flow or the, short, the shortage of funds and resources? Like, Are there solutions we can come up with right now The only way we can even propose those is if provinces and the federal government meet. Without meeting, there's going to be no solution. So I don't think it's going to be easy, and I don't want to suggest that in any mean, but it can't be the current status quo of just not even engaging. That's certainly not going to result in any solutions.
0: You also talked about the possibility, not the probability, but the possibility of uh, withdrawing uh, your support for the the confidence and supply agreement if you don't see uh, some positive action, uh, which I guess... To lead into that, let's, let's do a little retrospective here. Uh, since the agreement's in place, I mean, a number of the things that, that you wanted the government to move on uh, haven't happened to the degree that you want. I mean, yes, there's, the dental plan is there, but it's, it's, it's kind of a half full as opposed to what you were looking for here. And you've shown some patience in that uh, based on what the government says. Yeah, okay, we'll do parts two and three to this. Uh, how much patience are you going to have with this issue here and to the point where you're going to say, okay, the deal's off?
2: Well, first of all, that's a very fair summary that, that that's exactly what's happened. We've, we've had a certain things laid out that needed to happen by this year, and they have happened. We've exhibited some patients in the sense that with the dental care program, it's an intermediate step. It's not the full program that we wanted, but it is something that got out the door by the end of the year with the commitment that the full program will, be, will, will hit the deadline, which is next year. So the steps have been taken. We force this government to do things that actually make people's lives better, putting more money in people's pockets the GST rebate, rental support, and the dental care. So we're proud to be able to get people some some support and some help right now in the time they need it. Um, but when it comes to healthcare, this is where it is really important for me that we see some action. And I don't take lightly the idea of withdrawing from the, the agreement. I really believe that Canadians need stability. I understand how important it is. And I believe that putting the country through an election would be a very difficult thing to do. And so I take that that decision very with a lot of responsibility, with a lot of heaviness. So what I'm really wanting to see happen is that the government acts. I don't actually want to look for an excuse to have an election. Yeah, of course I'd win more seats now. now. We're in a better position than we were before. People have seen some of the things we've delivered, but for me, it's not a game. I really want the government to act, so my goal here is to ramp up the pressure to get the Liberal government and Justin Trudeau to deliver on some of the promises they've made and see some real action in dealing with the crisis. That's my ultimate goal. If that happens, then, then that's, that's a, a victory for people. I'm not trying to find a way to trigger an election. So that's something I think people should know. My goal here is to force this government to do something.
0: But are you setting up benchmarks, in other words, expectations by such and such, and we want to see this done, et cetera, et cetera?
2: What I'm doing is saying that this is urgent. And, and if the prime minister doesn't know, I'm putting him on notice that, that health care workers are really hurting, that kids are suffering, that our hospitals are being overburdened. We've got the Red Cross called into Ottawa, and Red Cross is only called in in a disaster in the Ottawa Children's Hospital, I should add. That's where the Red Cross Mm -hmm. has been called. There's a trailer set up in front of a major children's hospital in Alberta because the overflow is so much that children and parents are waiting in the cold, so they set up a trailer to keep people just in the warm. It's not actually providing any services. It's just keeping people warm. We've got ch- children dying from from respiratory illnesses, and we don't see any action. So, uh, I'm putting out the markers that let's see some immediate action, uh, and I'm putting the government on notice that that healthcare workers and patients and parents are frustrated at their wits end. So, I really want to ramp up the pressure to see some action.
0: NDP leader uh, Jagmeet Singh. Uh, uh, Mr. Singh, uh, first of all, thank you so much for the time today. I know it's a very tight schedule for you these last couple of days. Uh, All the best of the holiday season and uh, best of luck in 2023. This government's got a lot of work to do on some very key issues in uh, the upcoming months, and uh, hopefully we will see some progress on that. Thank you again for today. Thank you, sir. Appreciate it. Jagmeet Singh, uh, leader of the federal NDP party you're listening to the bill kelly show podcast on 900 chml well the uh, liberal government bill designed to require web giants to compensate journalism outfits uh, for reposting their content has passed a final vote in the house of commons uh has uh, been very controversial been a couple of uh modifications matter of fact about 18 amendments added to the bill but is where we should be is it where we're going to be and what kind of response are the uh, tech giants giving <laughs> let's cover as much of that as we can in the next couple of minutes with our next guest Kevin Desjardins is the president of the Canadian Association of Broadcasters joins us on the Bill Kelly show to talk about this uh, Kevin good morning thanks for being here today
3: good morning my pleasure Bill
0: let's uh, talk a little bit about what happened uh, the bill finally did pass uh, 213 to 114 the conservatives uh, did not support this uh, are you happy with where we're at right now is it, it I think it's there have been a few changes to this bill right now are you comfortable with where we're, we're going to be going
3: yeah I think that we're comfortable with uh with the bill. I think you know the bill was something that we've supported uh I think from the outset. there were uh there were some amendments that were made uh, and there were some uh there were some that we had put forward uh in part to I think uh, to help make the bill. Uh, a, a little bit better. But, um, but yeah, I think that we're very comfortable with, uh, with where the bill uh, has gotten and, uh, and about the possibilities of, of what this bill could help to bring um, to Canadian broadcasters and frankly to all Canadian uh, news organizations.
0: Well, it's it's an issue of fairness, as you and I have talked about in the past, and and compensation, uh, because they're basically taking stuff that was created, information, news, whatever it might be, from other sources, and and reposting it, and and of course then they're selling it as as you know, on their website, on their page rather, and, and on their server, and and making money from it. And you know, it's it's the same thing. I mean, if you, if you you know borrow somebody's song, you've got to pay residuals to it. And it's just, I'd like to see that same sense of fairness. So you surprised that the, the Googles and the and the Twitters put push back as hard as they have? Uh
3: no, not not really. Um I I, I think that uh you know it's it's an interesting thing being uh a uh, being a regulated industry uh in in Canada and having all of these unregulated competitors uh and they're certainly dra- being dragged kicking and screaming into a more regulated uh sphere and they've certainly enjoyed the advantages that they've had over the years and and you know I think that these organizations see uh that um that this is uh you know something that uh, is uh, starting to become uh, more uh, prevalent uh, ar- around the world. And so I think that they're kind of fighting back at it uh, wherever they can. I don't think that they've always been uh, making the most uh, good faith arguments about uh, about the bill. And, and certainly there's been uh, threats uh, that they are going to sort of, you know, take their Take their social media platform and go home, and uh, and and I think that that's the sort of um, threat that doesn't really resonate with uh, Canadians. In fact, we did a little bit of uh, uh, of uh, surveying of Canadians, and you know I think that the. The level of trust that they place into uh, broadcasters and news organizations far, far exceeds the level of trust that they place into these social media and, and search platforms to do the best things on behalf of Canadians.
0: Well, and, and some of the arguments that they presented, I, I found were rather specious. And there's one provision I know that they criticized here uh, that uh, in the bill says that, that the, these uh, providers are not supposed to show any what they call undue preference to certain outlets that could lead to poorer quality information being presented in search results. And and the, the response from Twitter and, and Facebook into that was, well, that that's, that's our choice as to what we want to put on there uh but the, but the bias is is pretty evident and just connect the dots here i i know you know the story but just to inform our listeners uh we found out yesterday that uh, that elon musk who now owns twitter uh has just blocked a, a big long list of, of journalists on twitter who were critical of elon musk and, and the way he's been doing business over the last little while so he's basically shut them up uh, at least on that platform anyway which i i think that action alone kevin pretty much i, I think justifies why this bill is so necessary
3: I mean that's you know it certainly underlines the the fact that uh, the platforms um, you know as I've I've said before you know uh, Canadian media organizations you know we operate by the old rules but these uh, social media, and search platforms operate by their own rules, and I think certainly seeing what's happened uh, with Twitter over the last few weeks, and definitely last night, is is profoundly concerning for uh, you know for those for whom. Um, uh, 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 fair uh fair and balanced reporting is is uh really essential and 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 you know Twitter uh was certainly a platform where journalists and people who are uh, very much uh news consumers uh like to go and so you know I I, I again as I say it underlines the fact that that you know we ha- we need to understand where the the uh, uh, where the journalism uh, comes from, where it's generated, where the news that is really critical and vital to Canadians, where that gets generated. And it doesn't get generated by the search and social platforms. It gets generated by journalism organizations like broadcasters and like, uh, and like uh, publications.
0: Well, you know, look at a presidential news conference. I mean, there's no reporter there from Facebook, uh, but there are lots of reporters from from other journalistic uh, enterprises. uh, And and they basically, they they create the story, they create the product, and then uh, the social platforms simply you know, well, I was going to say poach it. Uh, maybe that's too strong a word, but I mean, there's a sense of uh, reality here that, you know, this is this is the hard work that's going into this. Uh, and they complain. I mean, everybody, com- nobody wants to pay taxes. Nobody wants to pay fees for any of that stuff. I, I get that sort of a pushback, but uh, and they always kick their butts up. And we've seen this happen in other enterprises when the government's tried to, to move in and create some sense of fairness. And uh, at the end of the day, when the dust settles, they, they simply do it. They pay it. And I know they're making a big news squawk about this, but as we mentioned on the news story yesterday, when this bill finally passed, this is not unique to Canada. This is happening in other jurisdictions, too. So they're, they're feeling pressure from the UK, from the United States, and just about everywhere. Uh, you know, that this has to stop, and there has to be a, a better way to do things.
3: Yeah, and, you know, I mean, I think the thing that, that for us that we recognize is, is the fact that, you know, they... Uh, they are able to uh, use the people's uh, browsing histories and search uh, histories and you know to to use that along with all the other data that they collect about their users and to help to create profiles that then they can turn around and resell uh to advertisers and and uh whatnot and and i think that for us you know that's the the real key thing here is that you know we're We're seeing now, I mean, the, 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 the crux of why you need a a bill like this is that more than 50% of the advertising market now in Canada is digital advertising. And we're reaching a point where, you know, the, the places where people traditionally advertised, uh, like radio, like TV, like, uh, publications and, and whatnot, uh, are, are seeing uh, that uh, that digital is having a bigger uh, and, and taking a bigger and bigger piece of the pie. And why does that matter? Well, I think one of the real key things is that those digital players, uh, it's, it's a, a, a substantial amount of that is Google and Facebook. And so mm-hmm. effectively we're creating this trade imbalance on advertising. And we know that advertising actually, uh, is the thing that helps to fund news and journalism and creative pursuits and whatnot. And so, you know, recognizing the presence of these other players, these unregulated players who are who are taking a larger and larger piece of that advertising pie and then taking it out of the country, uh, I think it's it, we've got to find ways like bill c eighteen does to 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 find a way to, to recapture i think some of uh some of that uh some of those funds to help reinvest them in things that are good for canadians and good for canadian society yeah, which is why i'm glad you had the
0: chance to talk with us again this morning
3: about this because i think
0: education is going to be a key part so uh, so the consumers that's you me and everybody uh, has an understanding as to why the government like many other governments are moving in this direction uh, kevin thank you so much for this really appreciate the time have a great weekend we'll talk again soon okay thank you so much, Bill. Take care. Kevin Desjardins, president of the Canadian Association of Broadcasters. You're listening to the Bill Kelly show podcast on 900 CHML. As we mentioned, Queens Park and uh, Ottawa up in Parliament Hill are both uh, off for their Christmas recesses, uh, be middle of January and or even into February, I guess, before some of these folks are going to get back to work again. Uh, But let's, pause and, and maybe do some reflection here and talk about what could be happening going ahead politically in both places in 2023 and to do so uh please to welcome back to the program john best publisher of the bay observer uh good morning john thanks for being with us again today
1: great to be with you bill
0: Let's, let's start off with the the federal or the provincial situation here. Uh, it's been a rather tumultuous last couple of months for the Ford government right now. Uh, there's some key issues, of course, that they've tried to tackle with. Uh, there's uh, all, an Angus Reid survey that I was looking at yesterday that basically says uh, an awful lot of people in Ontario don't think this government's doing a very good job. Uh, as a matter of fact, they, they, they seem to feel at this stage that the government doesn't even reflect the, the priorities of most of the people.
1: Well, there's no question about that, Bill. I, I think it showed his, uh, Ford's approval rating down around 34%. And, uh, you know, people, the, the big thing everybody's concerned about is the cost of living, not, not just the rents, but, you know, just go to a grocery store, or go anywhere. The only thing that's moving in the right direction is gasoline these days. But the interesting thing about that poll, because I looked at it as well, So Ford's approval rating, clearly his approval has dipped um, significantly. It it was up in the 60s uh, during COVID, which, you know, that's probably an aberration, but it was, you know, coasting along in the 40s for quite a while. It's down to 34 now, which is the lowest it's been since he was elected, But when they ask people, you know, what party they're going to vote for, um, he's up around 37, which is getting very close to, you know, uh, where he went out at the election time. So they don't like the job he's doing, but they don't see an alternative is what I take away from that.
0: Well, and that's really, uh, I guess, a reflection of what's going on in the building itself at Queen's Park. I mean, there's an interim liberal leader. I mean, the NDP just named their their new leader. Merit Stiles has, has got that job now. Uh, in, in the absence of any information and or any opposition to what the government's doing right now, uh, I don't want to say Ford has a clear path here, but there's not too much uh, pushing back right there.
1: No, and and the liberals in that race, they're, they're sitting at around 20%. So that's just a death knell for the NDP because if 20% of the electorate is going to vote, still vote Liberal, which would mean they probably won't really win that many seats, but that that's a vote that, that really makes it very difficult for the NDP to gain a lot of seats.
0: It's, what's interesting about this, and we'll talk about the federal situation, too, uh, because I think there's a, a lot of similarities in, in the challenges facing going ahead. Uh, according to the Angus Reid survey here, the number one issue for Ontarians is uh, cost of living and inflation, not housing, which the government seems to be focusing on. Healthcare is number two, uh, not surprising. And then housing affordability is there, Uh the government's got some big challenges coming up here in the next uh, couple of months uh, to deal with a number of these issues. And uh, I want you to, if you could, John, rate exactly how they've handled some of these things in the, in the last couple of months in particular, environmental issues and climate change. Uh, I, they talk the talk sometimes, but of course, you know, then the, the incursion into the green belt falls under that category, uh, which I guess explains to a certain extent why some people are pretty disenchanted with how they're doing things.
1: Yeah, uh, well, I think I think frankly they get a you know a C minus or a D uh, on on almost all of the above. I mean, uh, clearly they're not responsible for uh, the, the inflation that we're dealing with. But um, I think the, the the problem with this whole Bill Twenty Three, this whole housing approach, uh, is that it's just not well explained. So the the narrative is sort of this. Um, whatever is wrong with the cost of housing right now rests with the cities. So the cities are completely to blame. So the solution is to take away pretty much any power they have to control uh, what housing looks like in their markets. Um, and, and if we could just free up a, a bunch more land, uh, that, would, that would solve the problem. And, and I just don't think people are believing that. Uh, it, it's, it's not clearly laid out how that's going to work. And And so you sort of go from and, and then they throw in the strong mayor system. and there isn't, to my mind, and I, I wrote something about this, there isn't a shred of evidence that that the strong mayor system is needed uh, to solve this housing problem. So it, it's just kind of a, a cluster of, uh, you know, sudden anytime governments make sudden sort of jerky moves, People, people get at ease, uh, ill at ease, and this this is what we're looking at. They're, uh, why they're not explaining things better, it, it may be that uh, they, they really don't know what they're doing, and that would be really scary, but um, there's just a lot of activity that doesn't point a straight line in people's minds that this is going to really help with the housing.
0: Well, and maybe the uh, the way they've dealt with the education issues over the last couple of months is a, is a pretty good indicator of that. Uh, with the education workers, of course, the support staff in schools, uh, you know, pr- pretty much pulling the plug on the negotiations, threatening to use the notwithstanding clause, and then backing away and saying, okay, we're not going to do that after all. Uh, indecision is, is not something that's going to build confidence in, in the public.
1: No, and, and when you're talking about the notwithstanding clause, um, it, it's kind of like a, a gun that's in a holster, in, in a sense. So, so even though he backed off on the use of it during the uh, labor dispute, everybody knows that he is prepared to use it. Everybody knows it's a tool that he has, and and he has used it in the past for trivial things like uh, the, the stickers on the gas pumps in his first year. Mm-hmm. So we know it's there, and, and so then when he comes along with something like this, uh, this uh, the, the one that really bothers me, frankly, Bill, is this uh, strong mayor system. Uh, that, you know, when you start having to actually tinker with democracy in order to, I don't care what the issue is and, and how important it is that, that we do uh, make some progress on affordable housing, but if you have to surrender democracy for it, it seems to me that that's a major fail and the idea of, uh, and John Tory, uh, frankly, has disappointed me greatly. Uh, I think we all thought of him as a as kind of a red Tory, uh, maybe even left of a red Tory uh, during his two terms as mayor. But for him to go in and request uh, to have the power to overturn two thirds of his council, when it was already cut in half by Ford, it, it just leaves, uh, you know, you, you ask yourself, does this really do anything to solve the problem and is there any sense that this power would be taken away at some point uh if indeed they did manage to make some progress on housing it, it i think well, it creates disease on on the part of people
0: Oh it, oh, it does. And they had a city council meeting yesterday in Toronto. Uh, and Tory, of course, is trying to push his own idea for housing. And the pushback he was getting from the council, it's kind of, it was it was less about housing and more about who do you think has the power here? So, And I can only see that continuing uh, with that council and with Ottawa's council and who knows else who's going to go with those powers in the next couple of months. Uh, because Hamilton, I guess, is in line, London could be in line for this as well. Uh, it's not going to make for a, a very workable environment, I guess, for those city halls once that's happening. Happening. uh let me if I could though I got a couple of minutes left I want to shift over to what's happening federally uh, and one thing that I've noticed right off the bat and I think it's pretty obvious uh Pierre Piollev and Justin Trudeau don't like each other I mean there's I don't think there's even a professional respect there between the two of them uh, and it's it's becoming personal even some of the comments they're making I, I a speech to his caucus yesterday the last meeting that they had before the holidays here John painted a very bleak picture of Canada. It kind of reminded me of Donald Trump's inauguration speech, uh, you know, when he, he basically said that, the, you know, the, the city's in ruins, the country's in ruins, and I'm the only one that can fix it. Uh, Polyev seems to be adopting that mantra for, for his move uh, towards whatever's going to be happening in 2023.
1: Yeah, he. I, I think he's got a, a, a real challenge in front of him because, uh, you know, his whole approach has been completely negative. Uh, we haven't seen, uh, you know, sort of a positive vision. It's all about what uh, the other guys have done that's uh, that's not working. And I, I think he's almost hoping that he can capitalize on Trudeau's unpopularity. Uh, and, and so it's going to be more like a negative force in the sense that it's not his vision of Canada that, that we would vote him in on. It's more a case that we're just so sick of uh, Trudeau. Uh, that somehow he can slip past the post. I'm not sure it's going to work. I I think he made a mistake this week, uh, well, in the last month, uh, in the by-election of Mississauga. That seat was a seat that Stephen Harper captured when he formed his first majority government. And those Mississauga and uh, those uh, Peel Region seats, those are the ones that uh, Polyev's got to pick up if he's got any hope of winning uh, an election. Uh, right now, he's he's three points ahead of the Tories, but we know that are the Liberals, but we know the uh, that his vote is so inefficient. Um, you know, massive uh, uh, majorities in Alberta where he doesn't need them. Uh, I don't think his three point lead is is enough to come up with really a different result than what we got with the two previous leaders. Uh, so it was it, I, He's got to change the message, I think, at some point.
0: Well, people don't like negativity. I mean, you know, they may actually uh, gravitate to it because they don't like the leader, they don't like the government at some point, but stuff that makes you feel uneasy, like negativity like that, eventually starts to wear on people and they finally just say, look, i, I got to tune this guy out or this person out. Uh, and I'm not sure if that's going to happen to him or not, but, uh, you know, I've seen two articles now from uh, folks that are covering Parliament Hill on a regular basis, and one suggesting that maybe Paul Ev has already peaked, and uh, the other is that... Uh, not that the pandemic is behind us yet, but 2023 is probably going to be uh, where the government's really going to have to tackle some of these issues. They can't simply say, well, we've got a pandemic, we can't do what we want to do. They're going to have to come up with some pretty solid programs. Uh, So that's the pressure on Justin Trudeau. But the similar pressure on Polyev is, all right, how would you do it? All right, if you were the prime minister, stop telling us that he's wrong. Tell us what you would do to change it. And he hasn't answered that yet.
1: No, he, he hasn't answered it, and, and, and frankly, uh, you know, it's, it's not just his message, but I think his personal style, uh, he, he's sarcastic. Uh, that, that's the tool he uses in, in, the, in the house, and, you know, uh, if you go back into your history books, Arthur Meehan was a, was a brilliant conservative leader back in the 20s, but, but his personal style was very acerbic, very sarcastic, uh, and uh, it just didn't appeal to people, and he, and, he, and he wasn't successful. And and I don't see anything in, like Ontario is where it's all going to happen. Let's face it, Bill, there, there's no growth for Polyev uh, west of uh, Ontario. He's got pretty much every seat that he's ever going to get. Uh, not much growth, I don't think, in Quebec and, and Atlantic Canada. So he's got to pick up uh, a significant number of seats here in Ontario, and I don't see anything in his messaging that would appeal to people that live in this province yet.
0: Well, it's going to be fascinating to see. Uh, by the way, we're going to have Jagmeet Singh on the program a little bit later on. I'm sure we'll ask him some of the same things about what's going to be happening and uh, and whether that support with the, the government is going to continue through 2023 or if we're going to have to go to the polls. Uh, John, as always, thank you so much for the time today. Uh, have a great weekend. We'll talk again next week. Thanks, Bill. John Best, who is the publisher of the Bay Observer, with a look at what's going on federally and provincially. The Bill Kelly Show, weekdays from 9 to noon on 900 CHML. The Bill Kelly Podcast is available on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts from. You can also listen to The Bill Kelly Show, weekdays from 9 till noon on 900 CHML. I'm Bill Kelly. Thanks again for listening. And don't forget to subscribe to the podcast. It's free.